Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Bothell Amplified. Pastor Joe here. I'm excited to be sharing the next sermon of our series, Activated to Love. Today we look at the parable of talents through a fresh lens, and we see whether the parable is inviting us to share and spread hope with the world. Check out the sermon here. My name is Claudia Green. Today in our sermon series, Activated to Love, we continue in Matthew 25, reading verses 14 through 30. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. At once the one who had received the five talents went off and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, 
and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Holy words for God's people. Well, good morning again. It is uh, great to be with you today. Um, so I, I want to share a quick word of thanks. Uh, last week, uh, and throughout the month of October, we, uh, which I did not know, we celebrate as Clergy Appreciation Month. Um, and so last week, uh, I want to thank you for, uh, through the governing board and through after church, uh, after worship, uh, people wrote notes and sent a little notes of thank you to Pastor Kristen and myself. And I just want to thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart, uh, just the words that you have shared with me. Uh, over the week, though, I got an email from somebody who, and I, I, I received permission to share the story, um, of somebody who uh, wasn't able to be in church physically but wanted to send a note of thanks anyway. And they wrote in this note, um, we want to thank you for uh, helping to create a place of welcoming and belonging. And they went on to tell their story of how they had left uh, a church that was, uh, um, what's the right word, theologically uh, abusive or oppressive uh, to this person. And uh, they, they wrote this note saying, hey, we, wanna, uh, we, want you to let, we want you to know that uh, worshiping together in a community that is welcoming and belonging has meant the world. And I, I responded back and I said, uh, you make that. And I want to say that to you all. You all make that. You make our community one that is welcoming, one that is belonging, uh, one that allows for people to come safely to worship and to trust that they can be themselves here. And so I want to thank you. And I want to continue to affirm that over and over and over, that even though there are places in our world and in our community and even places of worship where uh, that is not true, even though there are places where people keep each other out for this little while, for us to be the community God calls us to be, we will affirm again and again that all are truly welcome and that all belong. Amen, someone. And so we want to name that if you have been kept out of places of worship, that if you are gay or lesbian, transgendered, bisexual, or questioning, know that you're welcome. Know that you're, you belong here. Uh, if you're black or brown or indigenous, if you've been discriminated against because of the color of your skin, know that you are welcome. Uh, know that you belong. Uh, if you find yourself uh, homeless or houseless or in the lower economic brackets of our community, if you are single or divorced or partnered or separated, know that you are welcome. Know that you belong uh, with all of your unique gifts and abilities created to be bearers of Christ's image to all the world, know that you are welcome. Know that you belong. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh God, be present here and in all the places from which we are worshiping. Move in us and through us that we too would be moved and changed. Speak to us, we pray. Less of me, more of you. None of me, all of you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Some of you may know I was in uh, Boise, Idaho uh, this past week at a gathering of pastors who committed to journeying with one another through the highs and lows of ministry. Uh, they've been gathering together since the 1970s, and, and this was my first time uh, to be with a group. I have to tell you that it was really a holy and, and sacred experience for me. There, there's something about being with colleagues who have shared experiences, who can pray with and for one another, who can offer advice and support and friendship. 
On one of these days, we uh, spent the morning visiting Silver City, Idaho. I never knew that this place existed. Um, Silver City is a really unique place. It's, it's a ghost town, one of the few old mining towns that did not burn down or become commercialized into a modern city. It's about two hours southwest of Boise, and we rode uh, the church van on the windy roads at times, uh, feeling every piece of the gravel that made up the road as we bounced along. Uh, in its heyday, Silver City had about a dozen streets, 75 businesses, 300 homes. Uh, today, the town contains about 75 structures that date all the way back from the 1860s to the early 1900s. And while there, we were uh, taken around by one of the church members who, who had bought one of the homes. Uh, and there was the Idaho Hotel and the schoolhouse, the, the drugstore, the pharmacy, the, the church, which still uses the altar from the 1800s even today. And as we walked, uh, he, he also shared some of his story. And he said that he, when he had the opportunity to, to buy the house, something was ignited in him, and, and he had devoted so much of his life into now preserving and restoring the buildings and the town. He, he sits on many boards, and, and he started nonprofits. Uh, he said that he had found a way to put his love for history into action. I was struck by this idea of finding a way to put love for something into action. And I, I was thinking about whether our love for God and our love for people actually impacts the ways in which we live our lives. Listen, I'm not suggesting that we don't know God, that we don't love God, that we don't love our neighbors. But I do wonder whether we forgot what it means to be church. If we've become a people that have forgotten that our faith must be lived out as, as people who have forgotten how to be alive in our faith, I, I wonder if we need to be reminded that our faith compels us to be activated to love. We're in Matthew this morning in the middle of what's often called the eschatological discourse, which simply refers to these two chapters where Jesus teaches about the things that concern the last things, the death and salvation and, and the end of the world. And, and like much of the rest of his eschatological discourse, Jesus teaches through the use of parables, these simple or short stories. And, and I want to remind us that parables were designed not to give right or wrong answers, but they were a literary tool to challenge and understanding of one's faith, one's identity, and one's view of the world. Dr. Amy Jo Levine, she says that these parables of Jesus were designed to afflict the comfortable, and she says, therefore, if we hear a parable and think, I really like that, or worse, if we fail to take any challenge, we're not listening well enough. So we have this parable. Right? The parable of the talents, as it's commonly called. And, and the parable itself is pretty straightforward. A man is going on a journey, and so he summons his slaves and entrusts to them his property. And to one, he gives five talents, to the other, two talents, and to the last one, one talent. And he goes on his way. And while he's gone, the one with five talents and the one with the two talents, they go off and they make trades with them, making five talents and two more talents respectfully respectively, maybe respectfully too, but respectively. 
The third slave goes and buries the talent into the ground and, and hides the master's money. And when the, when the man comes back, uh, he rewards the ones who give him five and two additional talents. He says, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The third slave who returned back only the original one talent to the master is rebuked and is thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't like this parable. <laughs> and the more I sit with it, I don't think that we've been interpreting it correctly. See, traditionally, the interpretation goes something like this, right? God gives everyone resources, money or, or gifts or... or, or I guess talents, like, like playing the piano or something. And, and it's our job to make sure that our talents are not wasted. We, we must use those resources to get more in return, and God will be pleased with us. But don't be like the third slave and waste your talent, because then we go to hell. There's so many problems with this. For one, if, if we were to follow this interpretation... There's a, an assumption, a premise in the parable that the God is a harsh man who, who reaps where he d did not sow, gathers where he did not scatter, and who makes us afraid. And that's verse 24 and 25. And I, I don't think that that describes the God of Israel who, who brought God's people out of slavery into abundance, into a land flowing with milk and honey, the God who says, do not be afraid for I am with you. But another issue, it's, in the, it's, uh, it's, it's portrayed as the moral of our parable. It's verse 29, and it says, For all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And I don't know about you, but, but this idea that the rich gets richer and the poor get poor directly contradicts my understanding of God's economy. Especially when Hebrew scriptures emphasize caring for the widow, the orphan, when, when the prophets speak directly to caring for the poor, when, when Jesus preaches against greed and builds his ministry on bringing good news to the poor, when the early church sold all they had and pulled their resources together so that everyone would have enough. So what do you do with this parable? I remember in 2001, there was a little book called The Kingdom Assignment. Anyone remember this book? The Kingdom Assignment. Uh, it was a story of a pastor, uh, Denny Belisi. He gave away $10,000 in $100 increments to every member of his church one Sunday with three requirements. Uh, one was uh, the $100 belongs to God. And number two was you must invest it in God's work. And number three, you have to report your result in 90 days. And the, the reports were startling. They were great. People made hand over fist to contribute to the church. Creative ministries were, were hatched. Lives were transformed. People wept for joy. And this was all covered by NBC's Dateline at the time. I mean, I have issues with this too. <laughs> like the thought that we can finally do some important work for God and for the church because we were given $100 that belongs to God. But, 
We forget about all the money we have in our checking and savings account and our investment portfolios as if those also don't belong to God. I think the, the, the bigger issue for me as we think about the parable like this kingdom assignment, the master handed out $100 bills to each of his servants. The, the word talent, it, it doesn't mean some largish amount of money. Right? This, this, this word talent is, is, is a huge bucket full of solid gold. A, a talent weighed anywhere from like 50 to 75 pounds. Each talent was worth about 6,000 denarii, which would be about 20 years wages for the average worker. So if you happen to be the slave that got five talents, go ahead and take your yearly salary, multiply that by 100, and that's how much you would have received. If you need a moment to do the math, let me know. This isn't some large amount of money. It's, it's an unimaginable amount of money. And remember, Jesus is teaching to his disciples in, in private, which is important. He's not teaching to the crowds and, and shouting out to the masses. He's teaching in this intimate setting with a group of people who know him and who he knows. So he knows that he's teaching to fishermen and laborers, people who would not have a clue how to invest five talents or two talents or even one talent. So I wonder if, if Jesus is not talking about some tangible, finite, material resource that we're supposed to, to invest and to make a profit, apparently by any method necessary. No, I, I wonder if this talent, this unimaginable amount of money, this treasure is supposed to mean something else. And I wonder if it's actually about hope. Remember, this is the gospel, Matthew. It was written sometime in the mid-80s CE. It's a community of early Christians who, who were about a generation removed from Jesus. And the, the, the people who had actually walked with Jesus, who had learned directly from Jesus, they, they went on preaching this new way, they traveled, they went on mission and, and continued to share this gospel. They, they talked about how God's preferred future is on its way for them now, and here they were, this generation removed, still waiting for the fulfillment of that promise. And, and as they wait, they begin to lose confidence in that future that they had so dreamed of, and their witness and their passion, it starts to fade, and they start to lose hope. So Jesus says, look, a man is going on a journey, and to each of his followers, he gives hope. Some more hope, others less hope, but he gives hope. And after he leaves, some of the ones with hope go out and share that hope. They, they give that hope to others and they get more hope in return. But, but the one with a little bit of hope buries that hope in the ground, for, forgets about it, chooses not to share it. And when the master comes back, he's left with the same amount of hope, dirtier and, and withered, but, but a little bit of hope nonetheless. And that one who, whose hope did not increase, well, he, he, he's left hopeless, right? Without community, without anything to live for, to look forward to, anything that connects him 
with others. I remember I was serving at a church in New York. I, I was asked to do a, a pastoral visit uh, with one of the members of the congregation. And I, I remember I was going to see a young man named John. Um, and, and John was a good enough guy. He, he was in his early 20s. He was uh, attending college while living at home. He, he came to church every Sunday, but I'm pretty sure he was only there because he had to be there. And I can say this with confidence because uh, he was literally on his phone every moment uh, from when we began to when we were done. And in fact, we, he and I, we had multiple conversations about his faith and, and about church in which he made it really clear. He, he didn't know if he believed in God, but he was going to church to make grandma happy. Unfortunately, the reason I was going to see him was because grandma was sick. Uh, she had a stroke, and, and he wanted to talk to a pastor. And I walked into his house, and, and I asked about his grandma. She's stable. She's fine. She's a fighter. That's good, John. That's good. And how are you? And immediately the floodgates opened, right? I'm scared. I don't, I don't want to lose her. She raised me. I, she can't die. I don't know what to do. Will you pray for me? You know uh, when there's clearly a right answer to the question, but you pause just a half second too long before responding? He, he gathered himself. I'm just kidding. I, I, was, I was kidding. Ha ha. You don't, you don't need to pray with me. I'm good. I'll, I'll be good. I, I don't really know why I asked you that. John, why, why would you ask me to pray when you don't believe in God? To this day, I don't know why I asked him that. It actually haunts me that I asked him that. John, why would you ask me to pray when you don't believe in God? He looked across the table from me, and he said, because you do. Because Grandma does. And so pray for me. Pray with me. Pray, pray for Grandma. Church, what, what if we lived our lives with hope? How different might our world be if we allowed our hope to impact all the ways we live our lives, if we shared that hope with others? How different would our world be if our hope activated us to love? I don't know, perhaps the dominant message of Christianity today would not be one of judgment and oppression, but instead would be one that gave hope to our world? I don't know. Maybe we might start treating one another well, with kindness, with love. I don't know. Maybe we might stop hating each other. Maybe we might be bold enough to believe that there is something better to come and that our faith would be that which compels our world to be a place full of love. I don't know. My prayer for us is that we wouldn't allow our faith to be kept inside but that we would be so moved by this hope of a world that could be that we would be activated to love. And that everything we do, 
Every thought we have, every word we say to ourselves, to God, and to one another would be a message full of that hope. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Holy One, you teach us through these words ways in which we should live, and we pray that we would hear how we are called to be your people in the world. We pray that you would be guiding every step of our journey and that we would carry with us this unimaginable love, this, this unimaginable hope, and that we would share that with the world, that we truly might see the day in which all are truly welcome, where all are belonged, and where we can carry forth your love to and for one another. Be with us, we pray. It's in your holy name. Amen. All right, so that was the third sermon of this series, Activated to Love. Next week, we close it out by continuing through uh, chapter 25, the last parable in this series. Uh, we're going to have a special guest, Sharon Ryder, will be closing out our series for us. So we're in for a treat. Make sure you come back and check that out. In the meantime, have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you soon.